1: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nick Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And brought to you by you. Thank you to our patrons, supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK If you're a patron, you're gorgeous and brilliant. And this is your extended cut. Uh, of this week's show, of course. And if you're not a patron, but would like to get our extended cuts of the show, weekly columns, raw versions as live, which this week, I'm not going to tell you what we talked about in the 10 minutes that preceded uh, the actual recording. Um, <laughs> but rest assured, you missed some horrendous conversations you did uh, and you can get that by heading to patreon.com <laughs> forward slash uk tech uh, we've had a bunch of new patrons over the last week so thank you we had a, a bit of a drought of new people um, a couple of weeks before this week but we've we've had loads mark uh mcevroy uh, McEvoy, Andrew West, Michael Wigmore, Alex Waddle, the District of Wonders Network, and (laughs) and Paul Walker moved his uh, pledge level from $1 to $2. So make sure all of you guys are accessing our new RSS feed for our longer cuts. It's all on the Patreon um, homepage if you have any problems. Drop us a line, of course. Now, last week... I may or may not have teased a story about how our old Siamese cat once stole someone's chicken from a neighbor's house and may have caused a divorce. <laughs> Many of you, let's just say, have emailed in <laughs> or tweeted to say you'd quite like to hear that story because um, I left it dangling there like a, like a little temptress in some weird underground dungeon the story will be coming later on in the show after we've got through the actual news um because that's why you're all here we'll uh, just
0: speed through this in uh, 1 minute a story i reckon yes, spend the rest the- of the time talking about the uh, the siamese cat chicken divorce yes indeed um <laughs>
1: uh, i'm still testing the iphone 10 by the way everybody um it's going it's going well and i and i do i do like it but i i don't want to rush just... the Russia review and uh and, and
0: waste it so that, i can I'm review it based on a one thing and one thing only and that's gone. the two emo- animojis you sent me and the kids um and on that and on that strength of that alone i'm saying bye 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 yes yeah, so for a thousand pounds you too can animate yourself <laughs> as a three-dimensional
1: <laughs> as a poo. poo um yeah. Um, but anyway, that story, uh, well, that review uh, will be coming, uh, be coming next week. Let's get on with this week's news, shall we? Ian? Um, yes. We're going to start by talking about ATMs, which is not something we often start the show uh, talking about. But the Register reported uh, this week that thousands of free-to-use cash machines could be axed, uh, probably not literally, from Britain's high streets due to plans to cut fees that fund the network. This is from a warning issued by the banking industry group Link. Now. Bear with us because there is a tech story under here. Lynx has part of the problem with the ATM market is because of a proposed reduction in fees that a bank or building society pays when one of its customers makes a withdrawal from an ATM at the moment it's around the twenty five p mark per cash withdrawal, but over the next four years it'll dr- it'll drop slightly each year to end up being about twenty p per cash withdrawal. The ATM industry is actually going through a bit of a tough patch, which I had no idea about until um, I was researching this story this week. First, there's loads of them and more apparently keep appearing despite demand for them actually dropping. Link says around 80% of free-to-use ATMs are currently within about 300 metres of another th- free-to-use machine. And the yeah. number of cash machines in the UK is currently at near record levels. There's more than 70,000 of them.
0: And this is at a time when people are using cash less and less?
1: Precisely. I mean, I mean data from UK Finance said well predicted over the next 10 years the number of cash payments um in in general is going to fall almost half to 8.7 billion payments um the total value obviously there means it will drop too but the reason for all this so everything seems to be suggesting is that consumers are increasingly moving towards cashless alternatives that's your contactless payments your things like apple pay and android pay and things like that and it's so it's having a good benefit for shops in, in that sense and obviously it's great for consumers but it's been really really bad for cash machines and in the us i know that i think it's wells fargo you can withdraw cash from now using apple pay over here we've not got that yet to my knowledge anywhere certainly nowhere mainstream has has released that It's bound to happen at some point because companies like Link, which powers the, you know, it's the biggest cash machine network in the country, I think, you know, they don't want to go out of business. So they're going to need to come up with a new way to make people want to go to cash machines. You know, they've done it in the past by letting you do things like mobile phone credit top ups and stuff. I think you can do through some machines.
0: Yeah, you can do all sorts. You can give to charity and stuff like that. I I mean... Yeah, they do have to do something, but I—I mean—and I, I, mean, I won't—I won't tolerate the idea of living in a world without cash because it's—it's um, it's madness. It's absolute so, madness. Yes, absolutely.
1: I mean first cash machines then what shoehorns probably shoehorns
0: yeah no i mean i'm i'm less worried about losing the shoehorns than i am about losing cash because that... essentially if you if you don't have cash then you have absolutely no option but to submit to the will of a bank and um and and be tracked for everything you buy and you know i i know there's plenty of powerful arguments for like, you know, cutting down on tax evasion and stuff like that. But the the simple fact of the matter is it is nobody's business but your own, what you do with your money. And uh, I feel like you should be able to, you know, do so anonymously.
1: Well, if you've got any similar facts about cash, um, then feel free to cash in on that knowledge by sending it to our brand new, spanking, brilliant, glowing even new email address, hello at techpodcast.uk. Snap. Not playing a card game with Ian.
0: <laughs> That's simply the start
1: of this sentence.
0: <laughs> that, was, Let- uh, that was the most partridge thing you've ever said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was proper partridge. Well, let's see if the rest of the sentence contains uh, equal Snap. I'm not talking about the popular card game. <laughs> <laughs> um, the company that makes Snapchat is in a bit of hot water right now. It had its quarterly earnings report. This week, where it reported it lost almost half a billion dollars in three months.
0: This is one of my favourite stories of all time. Do you know why?
1: Because you love it when a giant corporate
0: entity loses tons of money? No, no, it's not that. It's just that then they then they sort of really sort of went, well, oh, actually, we've we've that this uh, wearables thing isn't working for us at all. We're going to spend a load more money on something similar.
1: Yes. Well, <laughs> if something doesn't work the first time, simply try again in another market. <laughs> that would
0: throw some more money at it.
1: Yeah, well, that's sort of what Snap's doing. I mean, they, they made t- just over $200 million in revenue for the quarter, which was actually less than investors uh, expected. And then the company's value fell by almost a quarter quarter um before recovering a bit when the Chinese tech giant Tencent said it had bought about 10 or 12% of the company now the reason we're going over in this detail is only partly because I was covering the news as it happened at Bloomberg earlier this week and it sort of fused onto my brain but mostly because one of the big sticking points in Snap's entry into the hardware industry and the problem with elements of its financial results is with its spectacles those hipster glasses that have cameras Inside them for, uh, assumably, you know, live blogging your visits to moustache hairdressers, uh, or vintage trouser shops, or, or cafes that only sell cereal. Oh, or that cereal, cereal plate, yes, yes. Um, they've got a ton of unsold inventory after they overestimated demand for them. So what do you do? Simply open a store in Box Park within the hipster capital of London, Shoreditch. Now the Box Park is a series of shops built inside old shipping containers. Because why wouldn't it be? CNET explained in its story, which I've just noticed is written by Andy, my brother. (laughs) How very coincidental. Um, Well, CNET, although now I'm going to say Andy, also noted noted that while you can already buy Snapchat Spectacles online in Britain for 130 quid, the store will allow you to try them out in person, uh, which should help you decide which garish colour best suits your stylish hairdo. Andy's words, not mine. I prefer to compare these to vintage trouser shops. Now, um... As Ian highlighted with his quip uh, just a few moments ago, rewind if you missed that, um, this is not necessarily going to save the company. On the other hand, it is at least a possible way to temporarily shift some of its inventory. Now, I actually quite like the glasses I, I tease yeah. them because of the marketing and, and and how they're aimed but I actually like them and I think, I think it's a, well need... done I think it's yeah.
0: really I think it's a cool product I, I like it a lot and I, I the pro, the price is just too much for me so that's uh,
1: exactly the problem is that they're it's 130 a, it's, quid aren't they it's a lot of money to spend it on is. something like that that and... is a
0: 40 pound product and if you could do it for 40 pounds I'd probably be in. I agree. It's kind of it's got
1: it would work in the same way Amazon's Kindle works in that if you could sell it for about a third what you're currently doing, it makes a great present to give someone because it looks like you've sent them something a lot more valuable
0: than it actually is. Yeah. Plus, um, you're essentially driving use of Snapchat, which is what you should be doing. Yeah, exactly. um, Because as much as I don't like to admit it. Snapchat is still the thing that they do mostly. I know they wanted to be a different... They wanted to pivot, didn't they? To be a very different company. Pivot. Um, Pivot. 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 (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So uh, for me, if if it was a £40 thing, I could buy a pair, I could let the kids have them. They would have an absolute blast. Uh, it wouldn't be a really big financial risk. And it, I'm sure that they would have a load of fun and I could, you know, I could show them the videos. And then maybe if, you know, there's nothing too, you know, because you'll be careful with kids online, obviously. But if it, was a, if it was just them playing around, you know, seeing the cats run around and stuff like that, then, you know, I could post them online or something.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, uh, I I don't use Snapchat because I'm because I'm 32 mostly. Um, well,
0: I'm a lot. I'm not going to say exactly how old I am, but I'm a bit older than that, and I sort of do use it a bit. I like some aspects of it. Um, Go on, what I do like, you
1: like about Snapchat? Well,
0: okay, so I um, I follow a couple of guys on YouTube, um, at, like vloggers, uh, people like Casey Neistat and David Dobrik, who I you know watch a lot of their videos, and those guys are all multi operators so um you'll see stuff on youtube but you'll see stuff they cut from youtube because obviously youtube has quite strict rules on you know censorship and stuff like that and you know like if you don't want to get demonetized you have to be pretty careful about what you put on youtube but so they can use that as an excuse to say go and watch the video on snapchat or on instagram or whatever and you get to and so if you're really you know if you like watching people do their thing it's several ways are available for them for for you to do that and because kids don't use twitter um i'd be happier on twitter but it's those services are better for video uh so you know although i do think it's a shame because i think twitter could be the ideal video delivery tool in a way if they could sort of build it a bit better um the the problem with twitter is it's not very well designed for this kind of thing and they don't seem able to do extra features add apart from add uh, you know another 140 characters that no one asked for
1: yeah and the, the the other problem with twitter and and frankly that could be the title of a of a blog the problem <laughs> with twitter is dot 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 um is that twitter's beauty and, and and the roots of its success were in the fact that it's it's not what twitter was it's what twitter left out you know it's, yeah. it 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 was successful because of its its inherent simplicity it yeah. didn't. It didn't have clutter around it. Same with Google. Same why Google's search engine was so beautiful is that it it was minimal. It didn't try and be anything else. It was a search engine. Not. It didn't try and be your homepage, your destination. That was iGoogle, if you remember, uh, which uh, they also killed. Um, oh, they kill it, everything, mate. The, the, uh, the list is
0: immense. It is immense, and why wouldn't you? If something's not, if something's not working, well, we, because tend- cause they don't, because they tend not to invest in anything. That's the problem. They set things up; they're good products. People genuinely like using them, and then they just don't put any money into keeping them going. And they go, "This isn't working for some reason." Let's shut it. Having spent a trillion quid on it, yeah, it's probably because it
1: doesn't deliver the kind of data they need to sell better ads. <laughs> but, there we, but, but there we go. Um, <laughs> That's Zach- an excellent comment from you. I mean, I'm glad I didn't have to say it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, if you have an excellent comment, by all means, send it in. Hello at techpodcast.uk. We'll be looking. I can't wait. Wearable wrote this week about Vodafone launching the V by Vodafone range, a handful of Internet Internet of Things devices powered by, you guessed it, Vodafone's network. There's an outdoor security camera, a bag tracking tool for presumably rucksacks and purses and things, uh, an in-car device for monitoring driver safety and arrivals. Think... Something to put in your eighteen-year-old son's new Fiesta to make sure he's not speeding at 120 miles an hour to Glastonbury when he told you he would be driving slowly and safely to grandma's. They all come with an upfront cost for the device and then a monthly service fee of a few quid. One interesting other product as part of this range, which I'm deeply excited about, is called V Pet. It's a pet tracking device. The wearable says it's pretty much a rebranded Kippy Vita made by Italy's Kippy. Uh, the Vita the Kipi Vita, costs 49 quid if you were buying it away from uh, Vodafone, and then you can pay from about 8 quid a month to 100 quid uh, for 24 months in total. Now, Vodafone's deal obviously includes connection to Vodafone's network and costs £50 up front, but then £4 a month for for the service, which lets you track where your dog or cat is in real time via a mobile app and set up alerts if the animal roams out of a predetermined safe area. Now, I think it's very interesting. It's only available to Vodafone consumer mobile customers if you have it. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about similar products in the past, but I'm increasingly keen on these, these products. Back in the day, I was mostly keen on the ones that had cameras attached to them. And mm. I'd be more interested if this now could have a camera attached. So not only could you see where your cat is on a map, you could physically log in and see it in live real time through the little cat collar thing. Um, which is something that only now, with you know, pervasive four G coverage everywhere, you could actually enable. Whereas you know, ten years ago, when I was writing about weird stuff like this for CNET, they had no connection in them. You just offloaded a camera uh, memory card onto your computer to see uh, to see the goods. Um, would you use one of these for for your cats? In do they go yeah, out? Yeah,
0: I really would. Yeah, they do go out, and I'd love to know where they go. And presumably, um, you could strap one to a child too. I don't think. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, children don't tend to be out on their own. Um, But Hugo and Annie are both so different in terms of what their days look like. I'd love to see, you know, what they both get up to. Like, for example, Annie um, is very timid and she disappears off in the morning and she often doesn't come back for quite a long time. And I think it's probably because she's sleeping on the garage roof. Um, But I also suspect that, um, you know, she does go off and do some stuff and see some things. And Hugo... I've seen him walking around because the thing's massive. He could be mistaken for a panther. Um, And he he will, I watch him cross the road and go into the neighbour's garden. And I walked back from dropping the kids off at school the other day. And he was, I'm sure he was sitting on someone else's garage roof, like quite a way away from our house. So it'd be lovely to know what they're doing and what they're getting up to. And, uh, you know, and you don't need to do it every day, perhaps, because I think cats. Um, tend to have like a pretty fixed routine of things they go and do at certain times. Yeah, my cat for example go outside,
1: do a poo bury the poo, come back in, go to sleep for (laughs) 18 hours It's not it's so true. It's not a brilliant idea to give him <laughs> one of these because it would look like it's broken most of the time. But I might get hold of one and uh, and borrow a dog. We, we use a service called Borrow My Doggy, uh, where we borrow other people's dogs to go for walks, and um, maybe we could oh, take really nice. st- strap one to those uh, those dogs and go for a little walk and, and test this out. And if you're going to be using one. Uh, or think you'd like one i'd love to hear some examples of that hello at techpodcast.uk that's where you can send those to Um staying on the news uh, with vodafone though the bbc reported this week that vodafone is going to provide up to five million uk properties with full fiber internet connections that's fiber to the premises the company is going to partner with a broadband network specialist called city fiber who we have talked about before to achieve the goal by 2025 Um, Vodafone says its initiative would offer quote a superior product at a lower cost than relying on BT's open open reach uh, infrastructure which it does at present for its fiber packages now Vodafone says customers can expect to receive gigabit internet speeds that's a thousand megabits per second or higher and it's going to start rolling the service out next year initially to about a million households now that's an interesting move for Vodafone, but it's a particularly good move, I think, for City Fibre. I mean, City Fibre is a really interesting company. It's been, It's sort of been the only notable competitor to the likes of OpenReach and Virgin Media in, in Britain. And it's been steadily rolling out gigabit fibre to a number of cities in the UK, such as Aberdeen, Leeds, Reading, Sheffield, York, um, Glasgow, Hull, Bradford, Milton Keynes, and, and my old hometown of Rotherham. And the primary customers up to now have been local businesses, uh, government, health institutions, uh, and buildings in the education sectors. But Vodafone's partnership means it can do that more in the consumer space. It's been a small business so far. I had a quick poke around its financials. Um, in its first half uh, year report, it said it connected 745 new business customers premises uh, premises seven hundred and fifty not seven hundred fifty thousand seven hundred and fifty, which was worth about eleven million initially to them so it's it's dealing with small installations because of the sheer amount of money it takes to put this fiber into the ground so partnering up with a company like Vodafone to roll out to five million people, you can sort of see the difference in scale that could bring, which would then hopefully Allow a much bigger market of fibre to the premises to erupt in the UK, which would be absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I mean, it sure I, would. You know,
0: yeah, I I agree. And uh, but again, it's kind of depressing because these things always tend to run out the same way. Like they are, they will be only to new build places. Um, you know, and and it's only ever worth doing a housing estate or something like that. Um, I, I used to I used to ponder this back when ADSL was really the only way of getting broadband. I used to think a lot about how you could make it better for people because one of the problems was that obviously a lot of people live a very long way away. And this kind of got solved when they did Fibre to the Curb because it is essentially my idea it was if you could put like a, you know, the the exchange, if you could move that to be in a more convenient location um and my idea was that you would maybe bt would pay schools and put some equipment in each, in every school and then you could provide really good broadband to the school but also because um schools tend to be more sort of well it depends where you are but they tend to be more sensibly located than phone exchanges um so if you weren't near a phone exchange you probably be near a school and then you know that could be a whole way of generating some income for schools and get broadband to people blah 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 but of course fiber to the you know curb sort of makes that it means that the essentially the phone exchange is the green cabinet on your street so it's kind of makes it not a problem anymore um but there is a it is dismal the the amount of fiber we've got and um you know we we definitely need more if we're going to be if we're going to compete and um you know, I think al- I've always said I, th- I feel like more people should be working at home um, at least some of the time because we have a, you know, a creaking infrastructure, especially in big cities. Um, and it m- makes it makes it, it just it's, un- it's unproductive, right? It's if you can stay at home, you've saved two hours a day of commuting pro- for most people, probably, and yeah. maybe more for some. Uh, I mean, how long does it take you to get into work? An hour. Yeah, so there you go. So, so you know, you, you either... You get a little bit more time yourself, which is nice, uh, and the company gets a more refreshed, productive version of you. Um, and, you know, and I, I, obviously a lot of companies are really backwards about this. Um, but, you know, why, why not let people work at home, especially if you've got targets that are obvious? I mean, obviously it doesn't work for everyone. Like, right? you know, uh, not every Chefs. job can be out. Yeah, I mean, unless... I don't know, we invent teleportation sometime soon and chefs can just cook in their own kitchens and beam the food to your plate. Uh, But then why would you go to a restaurant at all? You would just have it beamed to your house, wouldn't you? Indeed. Um, Well, you can beam your thoughts
1: to mine and Ian's houses by sending us your thoughts on this story. Hello at (laughs) techpodcast.uk.
0: Have you heard of Richard Browning, Ian? No. Um, Actually, I have. But that was it, that doesn't really work now, does it? Because I've said, no, yeah, I have. No, I only I, have. Only because I know you.
1: I mean, of course, I should clarify that's not a man called Richard who is Browning, for example, under a sunbed. Oh, it's it's a sad story. It is. Um, But he's a 38-year-old guy from Wiltshire who built his own Ironman-like jetpack for £40,000. He just achieved a Guinness World Record for fastest speed in body-controlled jet engine-powered suit, a record with notably little practical competition. I may uh, probably interject there. Um, He skimmed over a lake in Reading on his jet-powered rocket suit at 32 miles an hour. Now, this Iron Man suit, uh, it's called the Daedalus after the um, the Greek inventor, uh, is manufactured by Browning's company, Gravity Industries. It's made up of six kerosene-fueled micro gas turbines. You've probably seen videos of this on YouTube, um, but he's achieved a record that nobody else was able to to break. And, I, and I'm not quite sure whether that makes it better or worse, but I wanted to note this at least happening because I got to see this suit in person the other day and met browning and got a demonstration of the thing and it is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen with my eyeballs and I've seen some interesting stuff mate as you know I've seen oh, some yeah, very definitely. intriguing some intriguing sights I've never seen anything <laughs> quite as well i'll tell you what i've never seen anything as impressive as this with the accompanying volume it is quite honestly like standing next to a plane it's it's the jet it engines
0: it is basically is like standing next to a plane i mean it's a jet engine
1: it, it is an actual jet engine several of them they've got a thousand horsepower i mean um he said that um this thing can actually fly at several hundred kilometers an hour there was a wide interview actually earlier this year and he said um if he put his arms down at his side He'd accelerate very quickly and go straight up into the air, um, but he wouldn't do it because he doesn't have a parachute, which is which is kind of crazy. But I saw this in person. I thought, this is amazing. And, uh, and he's got a world record. And I thought, how would you like to hear it? Because I was recording it at the time, because, again, it, it was amazing. Would you like to hear what it sounds like to stand next to a rocket-powered jetpack? I'd love to, mate. All right, here we go. That's what it sounds like. It it, it is like several little jet engines going off. Uh, We had to wear earplugs before we were even allowed to see the demonstration because uh, of of how loud it is. I mean, goodness knows what the actual decibel level of it is. But, I mean, it was deafening with earplugs in. So, goodness knows how loud it would have been if I'd have taken the headphones out. Um, uh, We'll we'll include a link to that that video. Maybe I'll I'll pop that on the YouTube channel, uh, the text message YouTube channel, which we have, um, but we never put anything on it. So we'll put this on it and then we'll include a link to that in the show notes. And um, yeah, of course, you can let us know any thoughts on that at the usual address. The usual as of this week, that is. Hello at at techpodcast.uk. Right, Ian. Well, I've I've, I've teased this out long enough. Um, I think it's time to talk about the only news story that anybody wants to hear this week. It's about how my cat caused a divorce. (laughs) <laughs> shall we I can't we? wait to hear
0: this story yes please
1: do uh, okay um, and I, I hope I haven't overcooked this story so to speak because
0: <laughs> I'm going to settle back get my water ready and listen to this amazing tale
1: it's certainly not a turkey let me tell you that
0: oh night
1: it's a chicken the, the smaller <laughs> the smaller bird of, of, of the two choices uh, and indeed my, my, my preference Um, this goes back about I was how would I old been at the time 10, 11 maybe, so well over 20 years ago and we had a Siamese cat called Teo which the very informed of you will know, it was taken from the Siamese cat in Homeward Bound in fact it wasn't called Homeward Bound then, it was called Incredible Journey and we had some neighbours who, we'd heard their relationship was on the rocks for some time, and I'm gonna not name them obviously in case the highly unlikely event they're listening um and we'd, we'd heard their their relationship had been a little bit on the rocks and one apparent sticking point was and bear in mind this was in the 80s uh was that the 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 husband was getting fed up of coming home and his wife had cooked chicken and uh he'd made his feelings on this known apparently quite some time uh, that he was fed up of coming home and just eating the same dinner now one day he came home Oh right, let's tell it a different way One day we came home and found our cat on our front lawn eating a semi-defrosted chicken <laughs> and we thought well that's <laughs> highly suspect um, <laughs> it's, how... it's almost difficult to, it's almost impossible to catch a semi-defrosted chicken in the wild Exactly, and, and trust me there are very few in Rotherham uh, where yes. I was living at the time So assuming he didn't get it from the quicksave on our local shopping street called the Tanyard. Um, We figured he must have stolen it from somebody's house. Then we found out a few days later or something that this couple had had a very large argument over the fact that the chicken had been the subject of something of a murder mystery. The husband had come home. The wife had come downstairs and said, where's the chicken? He said, uh, what what chicken? What do you mean? She said, the chicken that was here on the side. He said, there was no chicken on the side. What are you talking about? A row ensued, uh, owing to the fact that <laughs> she thought that he got so fed up with having chicken that he'd actually tossed it away and was making excuses. Um, of course, that wasn't true because it had been semi-eaten by a Siamese cat over the road. And they got divorced uh, a few months later. And so while we don't believe it directly caused the divorce it may well have been the straw that broke the camel's back
0: uh, it, it certainly does sound like that was a, a thing um yeah does this uh, husband not have hands to cook his own food if he i have no
1: idea mate it was the late 1980s and things were different back then that's a great story Thank you, mate. Let's dive into our feedback for this week. Once again, we have been inundated with feedback this week. We're going to cover some of the feedback we got from last week that we didn't have time to get to, and obviously some from this week. will get pushed into next week's show. Um, I did want to point out, Ian Davis on Twitter quoted you, uh, quote, I just want to be shot in the face mm-hmm. uh, as making him actually lol, laugh out loud, in the street. Uh, he says it was a totally reasonable reaction, Ian. I can't remember what it was about, though. It was about remember?
0: vinyl, wasn't it?
1: That you'd rather be shot in the face than listen to vinyl,
0: something like that. Yeah, or, or it was—it was a response to the whole vinyl thing, basically. You know. I, oh right, okay. Know, just that it was—I was hoping for sweet release
1: from being shot in the face. Well, I mean, Otto sent us a Twitter uh, message as well. A, a really interesting article from the BBC Science Magazine mm. about about maybe why so- you know vinyl sounds a little bit better. So um, thanks very well, much. It's,
0: it's not really about why vinyl sounds a little bit better at all, is it? It's about why it's a nonsense.
1: Well, I suppose, I suppose so. It, it, it was. I suppose uh, disproving the myth of why people think it sounds better. I guess. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it
0: was—it's actually really interesting, and um, you should read it.
1: Okay, well, um, we're going to link to that in the show notes. Uh, we also had an email come in from Simon, who sent us what I think Ian and I both agree is our favorite email ever to, in terms of nerdy emails. So here we go. This came from Ian uh, from Simon about vinyl Uh, i love your podcast i've just finished listening to your discussion with ian on the merits of vinyl versus digital digital music is often described using a bit number that defines how many digital steps deep the music is from old 8-bit music on early video games through to 16-bit on cds and 24-bit that's used on high-end lossless formats 24-bit precision gives around 17 million values making an assumption that the groove distance on a vinyl record is half a millimeter from top to bottom, you would need to have analog steps of around 0.03 angstroms to get to it in 17 million steps. For reference, a hydrogen atom is one angstrom, so even a record made from frozen hydrogen would be about 19 bit. PVC molecules that vinyl is made of are about 100,000 angstroms, which, if you were able to perfectly cut (which we cannot, Simon points out), would give vinyl record about 11 bits of information way below that of a CD, which, of course, is 16-bit. So if vinyl records do sound better, it's either a placebo effect or, if you wanted to be generous, high-quality mastering on vinyl against some of the shoddy mastering on much of the digital bilge that the industry churns out. Keep up the good work, Simon. It's really good. I love that email. That was absolutely brilliant. Fascinating. It's tremendous. Thank you, Simon. We dearly, dearly loved reading that email. And uh, if you have such in-depth knowledge of why things are the way they are, they are always welcome at hello at techpodcast.uk. We had another email came in from uh, Luke, long-time listener in the Netherlands. He says, first, uh, hey, Nate and Ian, first, congratulations on your marriage. Now, Ian and I both did think this may have referred to Ian and I getting married. (laughs) Just to clarify, Luke, in case I wasn't clear, Ian was at my wedding. He wasn't <laughs> in my wedding.
0: Uh, I was sort of in your wedding. I just wasn't the main thing in your wedding.
1: No, you—you you were <clears throat> one of the most important people at the oh, wedding. Oh, that's so kind. Luke continues regarding phone plans which of course we were talking about the other week I've completely stopped looking at plans since I've had quite bad luck whilst picking a phone it all started back in the day of the first gen camera feature phones I picked a Siemens MC60 on the idea that bonkers VGA camera would work wonders turns out the display model had a propped up cam and I was stuck with blurry photos and terrible phone for two years I happily bound the bastard to a firework rocket when <laughs> and blasting off in 2006 some phones later I decided it was time to get into the smartphone market. I started looking around and decided I want a slide keyboard. The Google G1 is just plain ugly. Um, The BlackBerry wasn't my thing. So I picked an HTC Touch Pro 2 running Windows Mobile 6. Wasn't ideal, but at least I would get an upgrade to Windows Mobile 7. Except he didn't, of course. Uh, I was stuck with an expensive plan. A mobile phone stuck with Windows Mobile 6.5 and a single semi-functioning app. So Windows burned me. BlackBerry had started to burn itself to ashes and I decided to try Android. Still looking for a physical keyboard, I picked the HTC Desire Z uh, with the promise of a revolutionary Android 4. Though I never got it, HTC decided against upgrading this model and made the firmware for the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth and camera closed source. So even rooting, the, the routing community had big problems. Again, stuck with being with a phone for too long with too little. I jumped ship when I bought a second-hand iPhone 4 from a friend and have never looked back at plans or installments. Granted, the whole Apple aspect may have helped, but I'm currently happily using an iPhone 7 as a daily driver um, with a plan of €23.50 per month and 10 gigs of data. That is a very long explanation of why contracts can be really bad, because if you choose the wrong phone based on bad reviews or bad advice, you're stuck with it for two
0: years. Yeah. And- or you could sell it I suppose in theory and buy another one but it's not ideal yeah Oh, also, we did have a we had a request on Twitter. We probably won't be able to do it this week, but we should do it at some point. Um, I think from a, one of our American listeners who would like us to explain how phone tariffs in this country work, because we we assume quite a bit of knowledge, don't we, when we talk about it? Um, and it's not completely obvious to everyone. So yeah, I mean, actually, we would we'll re- do that another time.
1: Well, I, we can do it now. I mean, I replied to that that tweet with a bit of an explanation, but I mean, essentially here. Most people sign up to a contract, pay nothing for a phone up front, and then pay probably on average somewhere between about 20 and £70 a month um, for two years for both to cover the cost of the phone and a bit of markup, no doubt, from the, the network, and then their service plan on top. Alternatively, you can buy most phones without a SIM unlocked from a bunch of manufacturers' And then get a SIM-only plan, so you're just basically signing up to a SIM card and put that in any device you want. And that's kind of what, I mean, certainly what I do, uh, it's what I advise people do, and it's also the root of our advice of the week when we're talking about the new iPhones, buying them outright and and putting a SIM in. I pay about £12 a month for my Vodafone contract, um, and that just goes in whatever phone I'm using at the time. So that's that's basically how it works. Um, we also had an email from Ross who, uh, in addition to congratulating me on my wedding, said that actually Virgin Mobile has a three-year contract Wow. Of on option. Now, we we noted that, that um, Virgin Mobile, uh, was it Virgin? No, it was Tesco Mobile, wasn't it? Yeah. Tesco Mobile yeah. offering iPhones on a 30-month contract. And I said, that's the first time I think I've seen one. Well, apparently, according to Ross, you can get tied into three years on Virgin which is absolutely crazy. Um,
0: yeah, I, I mean, I, I I do have real problems with that unless, unless they give you an option to upgrade the phone. I mean, it, it, a phone should last three years, um, but I would be very reluctant to get myself into that length of contract.
1: Yeah, indeed.
0: Uh, I wouldn't know what to do. In, most most three. house rentals are only a year i mean yeah. you know like on the whole so like you're you're committing to sort of three times as much as a you know that i mean obviously it's a lot cheaper but yeah indeed
1: uh and we had one another email from uh well actually ross ross went into a lot more detail about about um contracts and 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 what he's he's gone for there but um we, we don't have time to go through uh, all of these but safe say we did read it and, and thank you very much ross for um for for listening um and for writing in, uh, Rob also wrote in with a comment about Edward Snowden, which we've noted. Ed, um, sorry, Rob, but we all we may come to that in the line because you had a, a good idea. It's um, a good
0: idea, yeah. We liked it, didn't
1: we? Yeah, but but the top of but your email prompted us to get our own a, a proper email for the show. So. That's why we now have a new email address. It's because of you, Rob. Ian, uh, he said, I just realized Ian doesn't get his name in the URL or email. And now I'm wondering why, uh, as nowadays you both contribute evenly. And uh, probably a bit of a joke there, because his <coughs> reason for emailing in was something to do with Edward Snowden. But, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's he had a point. It was well, com. Now it isn't. Uh, uh,
0: yes. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd only say that... Um, you know like, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with the stories about you know this this show and it was never in, it was never originally conceived as something that we would do together every week it was going to be several hosts who would you know join you and and, ha- and have a different perspective each week um but we sort of settled into a routine didn't we whereby we did make it a regular thing and we've both enjoyed doing it so much that it's uh it's, it's just been like that and we've certainly used it other people uh when where, where necessary but it's it's been something that we've I don't know we've definitely helped build it together but I will also say yeah. that uh Nate does the very very large majority of the work on this show I I turn up uh on a Sunday and talk uh CAC into a mic for a bit and that's pretty much my contribution um and Nate works exceptionally hard so that's the the reason but it has been sort of addressed I guess yeah, I mean,
1: I would say Ian's self-deprecation there is slightly over-egged. Uh, Ian does contribute more than talking guff into a microphone for an hour well, a Well, we Sunday. talk a
0: lot about the show, don't we? I mean, we, yes. we, co- we communicate nearly constantly about things for the show and ideas and stuff like that, and... and... And, you know, you consult me about every major decision. So it's, you know, I I certainly am involved. It's just, you know, you definitely do a lot more of the heavy lifting than I do. Yeah. Uh, And it is also on my website. If you went to ian-morris.com forward slash podcast, you would see a a, a link to the podcast. It's just that I don't put anything on that site. So no one goes to it. Yeah. Um but well
1: thank you Rob uh f- f- for raising that point because it-, it did allow us to to do a little bit of upgrading around here and that's always good. Um we had a-, a-, a ton of other emails, you know Andrew had written in Stephen Bowman with some interesting uh stories about the iPhone 10 that he's he's got so we'll we'll come to all the ones we didn't get to this week next week um uh, as we invariably will probably get more and then have to push those into the week after. This is this is how it goes in when you start being popular. Um, yeah you, people, we're very lucky yeah we are very lucky we we absolutely love it the more the better thank you to everybody sending them in and please long may they continue except now at hello at techpodcast.uk though obviously if you send them to the old address we will still see them but um, move on people we've got a new address <laughs> let's let's use it it cost me uh how much did i pay for it I can't remember, about $30 uh, for two years. I
0: just also, we should say thank you to people who, um, I've seen an increase in the number of people who are suggesting us as a show to listen to to other people. Uh, So we see it on Twitter. um, People ask for British tech shows and um, people uh, reply uh, like CyberGit said uh, to someone else uh, he'd recommend our show. And that's really nice. We really, really appreciate that, don't we? It's uh, it's lovely to be recommended as a, a show to listen to absolutely
1: i mean it's it's the reason why we are here because people tell other people it's it's why we say that people listening on our free feed you know you're the bigger number so you're you're the guys who have the power to um to tell friends and leave reviews and and all that kind of stuff because without that we don't get shared so the more people who do that the better um and and it's one of the great ways of supporting us obviously the other great way of supporting us is through patreon um we're going to be consulting our patrons over the next couple of weeks to talk a little bit about you know how we might want to evolve um the show and the levels of support that we that we have an offer and and what people get for those in 2018 so we'll be coming to that soon but it's a great time to, to to join us on uh it's kind of a club, isn't it? I see it as a club, like the text message club over there on uh, on Patreon from as little as $1 a week, which helps us, you know, buy new equipment and, and all that kind of stuff. We um, we don't take home a, a great deal of the money after we spend it on stuff, but um it, it's all there. Like the email thing. We wanted a new email account, but that means I had to buy something. So again, that's the kind of stuff that it funds, which is, uh, which is very grateful. And thank you to everyone who does, no matter how you are able to support us. Let's check in with Tom Merritt, who has some things to say about this week in the global world of tech. Tom...
0: Hey, thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we discussed the idea that Google and Facebook and other big tech companies are actually like their own countries. Discussed the predicted death of game consoles. Decided how likely it is that Uber will be able to launch its flying car service. They're seriously developing one. Debated the new Facebook revenge porn reporting system being tested in Australia and discovered why one man's C++ project made him the target of Russian spies. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com.
1: Thank you, tom all right that's going to do it for this week um we as ever have been posting frequently over at, at text message pod on twitter um really trying to make that kind of a real destination for, for all the uk tech news um, of the week through the week it's where we pull all of the stories we talk about from this episode and indeed every episode they all get pulled from whatever we put on that feed in the week so if you want to keep up to date with everything uk tech followers at text message pod. Don't follow us in the street, isn't that right, Ian? I don't mind being followed in the street. That's absolutely fine. Okay, well, follow Ian in (laughs) the in the street uh, for the next. Say hi. Yeah. Okay. Do that, but leave me alone.
0: I've lost the bottle. I've lost it into my bottle. Okay, mind.
1: Ian will find that and undoubtedly update us on its finding next week.
0: only from rustolium